welcome to episode 61 of the J Money's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J Bunny. Well, everybody, this episode was fucking fantastic. I really think you guys are going to love it. I had on the show Justin Stewart Cotta, who was formerly the singer for the band Memento, uh, who is now working on his own solo material. I've wanted to have Justin on the show for as long as I have had the show. He and I have been in touch with each other over social media for a very long time, about 18 years. And to finally get to sit down and talk to him about everything that has gone on in that time with his musical endeavors was fantastic and I, I didn't expect it to go this long I, I really he, he had asked me when we first talked about doing this if 30 to 45 minutes would be sufficient and I said yeah that'll do because that's how long the interviews normally go but uh, man we really got into it here I, I really hope you guys sit through and listen to the whole thing it really really was just an awesome conversation about his career in music his outlook on music it was just fantastic. I, I really don't know what more to say, so I'm not going to say anything else. Without further ado, here's Justin. What's up, everybody? It is Jay Bunny. I am sitting here at home once again on Skype, once again drinking the fantastic wares of the Ghost Hawk Brewery in Clifton, New Jersey. You get a chance to check them out. It's fantastic stuff. Joining me today, I gave you guys a hint on the last episode as to who it might be, and, and that hint was that the person I would be interviewing for this episode, as long as all went well, was the frontman of the very first band that was featured as a hashtag daily discovery when I was doing the written features in J. Bunny's Music Hub. Joining me today, Justin Stewart Cotta, former singer from the band Memento. How's it going, Justin? Good morning, or should I say good evening. Uh, you know, uh, I love that you've got a cold one in your hand. I have a cold one too. It's nine o'clock in the morning here, but it's an iced coffee. How things have changed, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. You know, it was funny. I was thinking about. It. I was like, it's like, is he the first Aussie on the show? No. Is he the first international show? No. I'm like trying to think, it was it's first something, and and I was like, oh, he's definitely the first person. You know, when I started Jay Bunny's Music Hub before it was a podcast, I just did, and you were you're in that that Facebook group actually. It was just me writing things and saying, hey, like here's some music that I think that people, mutual friends, whatever, might be interested in that you might have missed because there's always so much coming out that it's impossible to keep track of everything. And so I like to share. You know, that's why I have the podcast too. I like to share music with people that they may enjoy and so the very first when i decided okay i'm gonna do this the very first band that i featured was memento wow what 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 an honor and um big fan of your work as well man and also you were talking about firsts and and premieres and well i'll tell you one thing you probably haven't done i'm not sure that one of your interviewees would have been in Ugg boots. Now, I'm not sure if your listeners know what Ugg boots are, but they're like these woolen Viking shoes that come up past your ankles to keep you warm because here in Sydney, it's pretty cold. So I am in Ugg boots, mate. Woolen woolen boots for those that don't know what they are. <laughs> well, there you go. It's actually, it's actually pretty cold here today too. It's it? Despite the fact that it's Memorial Day weekend, it's the end of May in New Jersey. It rained all night. I, I got up today. I got. I went out into the house. I was like, "Fuck, it's cold." I yeah. go to the. I go to like the thermostat. It's like fifty nine degrees. I was like, "It's not supposed to be this cold in May." That's that's mental. You, you guys, you guys are warriors. I don't know how you do that all year round for the most part. 
Speaking of Memento, uh, that's when I first became aware of you in 2003 when when Memento uh, Nothing Sacred was getting airplay on the channel Fuse. Um, I know that you were in uh, just just in knowing you and seeing your Facebook posts and stuff. I know that you were in in Vast before that. I'm not at all familiar with that band, but can you just sort of tell me your journey in music up until uh, Memento and, and getting signed to Columbia with Memento? Yeah, for sure. So. I was here in Sydney um, a lifetime ago, and my favorite band at the time was a band called Vast. I thought they really, they, they captured this sound where they, they put together kind of heavier riffs, but with kind of like an early U2 thing and some samples. I thought they were really original and really cool. Turns out the bass player was an Aussie. That bass player's sister happened to be the best friend of my uh, girlfriend at the time, unbeknownst to me. Uh, we got talking their guitar player quit they were about to start the second record and without really having permission jace i you know i sort of conspired with the bass player of vast to just fly over there and turn up for the auditions at mates studios in the valley sort of in the burbank area you know um in la and so i i packed a backpack i packed my gretsch silver jet guitar i borrowed two thousand dollars off my acting agent i was a fledgling actor just graduated from drama school my my agents were stupid enough to lend me two grand and um i turned up unannounced the manager screamed at everybody saying what's this guy doing here but what happened in that room and i'll try and keep this short for you but what happened in the room is that that thing that happens with any band whether it's a jam on a monday night whether it's auditioning for some sign band that chemistry was really evident and i jumped on the guitar i jumped on the piano i i sang a little i sang one of my own tunes and then i sort of harmonized with john the singer and the drummer kind of stopped and he said guys we've got a problem and i was like what what, what have i done he said i think you've got the gig but i think we're going to get killed for choosing you <laughs> <laughs> because you know all the paperwork getting it there's, there's you know that old that there's that old um that old sort of myth that there's a a guitarist on every corner in Los Angeles or, or 10,000 or so on every corner. Right. And it's kind of true. There's plenty of good musicians in LA that they could have chosen from, but I just turned up on the right day with the right gold platinum mohawk and the right leopard skin slippers and apparently some of the right music chops. So that band vast toured with Queens of the Stone Age. We shot a film clip pretty quickly after that audition and we were, were out on the road pretty quick. Steve was in that band. So the drummer of Memento, Steve, was the drummer in Vast. So you're probably, okay. put, you're probably putting it together now, my friend, which is Steve and I really bonded on the road uh, and I kept doing my Memento riffs at Soundcheck or what would become memento riffs at soundcheck so you'd find these funny situations and, and jess i gotta tell you if i ever ramble on this thing this is your show you just tell me to shut up but you ask the question so here we go uh, yeah, um, no worries so at, at these vast sound checks we're opening for queens of the stone age and i was a little nervous at first you know a little paranoid about should i record these first is it okay to play these riffs but i would sound check the riffs for nothing sacred i would sound check the riff for coming didn't have beginnings at that point but uh, yeah, there was there's three or four key riffs on that record that Steve and I were already jamming at Vast Soundcheck. So I was the guitar player in that band. After about a year and a half of touring, um, with the greatest of respect to Vast and to John and that whole organization and to Electra Records, Steve and I just wanted to try something different. And in the back of the tour bus, 
he sort of confided in me that he was nearly done with music. And I said, what's the deal? And he said, well, look, as a drummer, it's just hard, man. You put your life into it. I've got a wife I'm planning having a baby and, and, and I just don't really get paid properly. You know, and I was like, what do you mean? So basically I said to him in the back of the bus, well, I got this idea. I want to put a band together. And I've always been fascinated with U2, especially early U2. And I love their model and their model because they met in like grade 10 in high school. The same four guys. They split everything four ways. It doesn't matter whether this guy wrote this part or the other guy wrote the other part. Everything was split four ways, whether it was a T-shirt or whether it was publishing or whether it was licensing of a song. And I said to him, well, look, I don't know if this helps, but I kind of come from the school of thought he split everything four ways. So I don't know if that, that helps. And his eyes kind of lit up. And it wasn't about the money. It was about ownership of the quest. Do you know what I mean? Like being in the band properly, not just being a hired musician. And so from that moment on, Steve and I bonded really hard and um, started putting Memento together really quick. In a nutshell, that's how we formed. Steve and I kind of left. The manager came with us and Steve already lived in L.A. I, uh, I was sleeping on couches and then I ultimately started living in, in the rehearsal room with a microwave and a shower. And um, I had a couple of my guys come over from Australia. So by the time Jason joined that band, we had a, a good portion of the songs. And yeah, we were eating a lot of two-minute noodles. But yeah, that, that's basically how that happened. You know, and I, I always forget, like, it, there was a series of heads or tails moments, you know, especially me, me auditioning for Vast in the first place is how this all happened. Like jumping on a plane with no guarantees. I had a feeling that I might get to that Vast audition and get told quite politely to fuck off. And, and I was told after the fact over a burrito with the guys at, I think it was Paquito Mas, I think it was. Um, they told me a couple of days later that, um, you know, when we found out you were coming, the manager told us, you're going to give him a T-shirt, you're going to give him a signed T-shirt, you're going to let him take photos, you're going to jam with him for five minutes, and you're going to send him back to the fucking airport. But uh, that's what I mean, those those heads or tails moments, mate. There is no memento, well, not one that's signed to Columbia anyway, without Vast happening, you know? Right, right. And then you guys, you put out the album Beginnings, and you toured with the OzFest in 03, and I was lucky enough to get to see you on that tour when it rolled through yeah. New Jersey. How yeah. was that experience, especially as well, a new band that just released their first album? Let me, let me tell you something. I'm sitting here with a pretty strong coffee right now, okay? But nothing really compares to being asleep on your tour bus and waking up to kill switch engage about... 50 yards from where you're sleeping that that's a hell of a way to wake up <laughs> um, and mad respect to those guys by the way that experience was unbelievable for us and it sort of look you don't want to jump to the end before the beginning the beginning of the end and all that stuff and and let's not dive into figure eight lyrics right here and right now but, <laughs> but we were really grateful to be on that tour because it's the kind of tour we would have been happy to work for for five six seven years to even get on that tour you know we were right. we were really prepared to get our hands dirty you know and always have been you know i'll, I'll reference sleeping on the floor and eating two minute noodles for two years to get signed we were willing to to go the the long route and the scenic route but the invitation for that tour came about and we were pinching ourselves and of course we said yes so that was a real dream come true for us 
and yeah playing with those big bands was great but for me just just the contact with the fans man was just unreal and and the immediacy of it and it's such a great vibe at Ozfest. you know you come off stage you can basically go and hang out and watch the other bands and just hang out with the crowd and that's what we did and we invited people on our bus every day and we weren't the kind of um quintessential hard rock metal party guys we we just liked hanging out and we're still and i'm still in touch with a lot of people i met on that tour on the socials you know just really special people that i only met once or twice for a couple of hours but they're really special people to me so yeah the tour was great and that that whole um wow it's Ozfest kind of thing is awesome but the best part it's always the people you meet you know and um that's one of the reasons you and i are even doing this you know is that is that tour Right. Yeah. I mean, and we didn't actually what's weird. And I don't know what happened that particular day in New Jersey. We never actually met. I, I did the meet and greet with yeah. the band, but you weren't there. I, I met the rest of the band, but not you. Yeah. I eventually found you on on MySpace, and we have been in touch with each other ever since then. Yeah. Um, it helped me to continue to follow Memento and your other projects that followed. Memento initially split in, in 2004. What what happened with that? You know, I've been talking with my partner about this for a while and my family even for a while uh, my closest friends already know the story and stuff but look the bottom line at the end of the day it, let's let's just go with the basics our drummer wanted to be a family man and he wanted to be a real estate agent and had been you know preparing his real estate license for some time i didn't know that and uh you know that's that's the guy you formed the band with right there you know and that's no disrespect to Steve. I got um, I got a lot of love for Steve and his beautiful wife and family. They are awesome human beings. And um, I always saw Steve as like my big brother, a couple of years older than me. He'd been there, done that. So my big brother kind of quit the band to do real estate. And, you know, on the other side of things, the guy I invited from Australia to come be in Memento, Steve and I having done a lot of the, the legwork and the groundwork to secure management and to get some things going and to be halfway to a publishing deal and all of that. I, I say these things with love, with a real sense of, of love in my heart for everyone in that band. But um, our guitarist wanted to be a singer and wanted to be the front man in his own band. So between those two things happening, and it's really hard, Jace, to not sound bitter or blaming do you know what i mean that that's that's not where i'm coming from you've asked me a really straight question and everyone just dances around the topic and you know that band should have made five records at least or that band should have done this or that band should have done that and i i hear it a lot and i tend to agree with people that that band should have stuck around for 15 20 years and that was the plan my friend that was the plan and lats our bass player will attest to that. That was the plan. We, we, were in, we were in and willing to get our hands dirty for 15, 20 years. This was our life. But everyone has to feel that way, brother. You know what I'm saying? And you can't just have two guys in the band willing to give their life to the band. You've got to have four. If you're a four-piece, you've got to have four members doing that. Or, Jace, you've got to be Trent Reznor, you know, and, right. and you've just got to hire people. But the irony is that's not what we set out to do we wanted to be a band and we really felt at the time that it was almost this last era of the rock band for now for now it always goes in cycles right but we felt this change coming but we still had an opportunity to be a great rock and roll band 
you know, we can say metal, we can say new metal, we can let, let's just call it a band, right? And and if we have to, let's just call it a, a rock band or a hard rock band. And we wanted to do it all. We wanted to make 10, 15 records for you guys. You know, we would sit there smoking cigarettes at the front of the bus going, imagine if this journey takes us to opening for Metallica one day. Imagine sitting around going to breakfast with James Hetfield on tour or something like that. Like we were giddy and we wanted it and we were passionate and we we had the songs and I really feel like we had a lot to say and and I still have a lot to say. Now I've given you a very long-winded answer after saying I give it to you short and straight. So I'll go back to short and straight. The drummer quit to be a real estate agent and the guitarist quit to go and be a frontman of a band in a very different genre. <laughs> and then after after the breakup, you and Lats started a new project that I then followed on MySpace called Man vs. Clock. As far as I recall, you guys only released one song called Introducing the Killing Machine. Whatever became of that I've, project? I, my question to you is, brother, do you even have a copy of that? Because I can't find mine. That's I do. I do. Oh, I man, downloaded it. Oh. I had downloaded it from Dude, the, the quality is probably please, not super great. Can you please can you please email me an MP3 of that so at least I've got it for posterity's sake? Sure, yeah. I've got it uh, I downloaded from the MySpace page. So yeah, yeah, I have it. I'm looking at it on my computer right now, in fact. Yeah. And Jace, given that you've got me quite quite inebriated on my um on my iced iced coffee here at nine thirty in the morning in, in Australia. Um let's let's continue down that track we were on before too, because really they're they're two sides of the same coin. So man versus clock was lats and I not wanting to give up. And I'm gonna be vulnerable with you today, my friend. And I'm not going to skim over stuff and I'm, I'm not going to give you any revisionist history. At the end of the day, Lats and I called it Man Versus Clock. Cool name. Probably was going to be the, the name of the second or third Memento record, really. I'm really big on lyrics and album titles. And there was a whole three or four album journey ready to go for Memento. The thing with, with that is if Lats and I had our time again, and I know this wasn't your question, but I, I thought I'd offer it up. If Lats and I had our time again, we probably would have stayed memento. We would have given ourselves six months off to sort of dust off, to regroup, to have a cry, to heal, and to start auditioning some serious musicians to fill the drumming role and the, the lead guitarist role in the band. But there was also a part of us at the time, we were so devastated, right? That we were like, we're going to start fresh. We're going to do our own thing. You know what I mean? Like when we had a couple of people at the time, some business people say, why don't you guys just calm down and why don't you keep the name? Well, you know, Columbia, we had a second record ready to go with Columbia, right? As Memento. They wanted us to sell a bunch more records than we did. And if that's the case, then they probably should have released the song Beginnings, don't you think, Jace? But to their credit, they gave us a second record. And that was kind of the stab in the heart for Lats and I of the other guys sort of jumping ship, is that we had a second record ready to go and agreed to. So Columbia said, yes, we had a budget. We were ready to go. And to be honest with you, mate, we had some, some pretty good songs ready to jump straight into. You know, so that's the kind of pain that Lats and I were dealing with at the time. And I promise you, I'm going to answer your question here. And to answer your question properly, I've got to give you that bit of backstory. So, so Lats and I devastated that we're not recording a second Memento record on Columbia because Columbia eventually go, look, we've given you a second record. We're ready to go. And now half the band's quitting. Sorry, we're going to pull the plug. 
you know, and, and that's difficult to say. It's painful. It took years to get over that. I wasn't even going to talk about this stuff today because even now, Chase, it comes up. You'll be walking down the street and you'll go, 2021, we'd probably be on our seventh or eighth studio album. You know, <laughs> that's the reality of it. So, you know, Lats and I formed Man vs. Clock because we were desperate to keep going. And the reality is we probably should have taken a break and we probably should have stayed memento and, and taken our chances. And then, and then what happened there with that Man vs. Clock, other than that one song, like I said, nothing ever came out. Did you guys, what, what made you guys put that to rest? I, I know you, you had another project after that. You know, it felt like, it's a really good question, man. It's a really good question. It, to me, felt like putting a Band-Aid on, or trying to put a tourniquet on a leg that had just been blown off. And ultimately it didn't feel right you know and I, and I love lats and um him and i will back each other to the end of time you know and i loved that we were doing something together you know and that that brotherhood but it didn't feel right we were so upset that we we didn't play memento songs and i wrote half to two-thirds of that record and we had every right to play those songs but we didn't and this is my point to you my point is we were trying to erase Memento and start fresh with something, but that's kind of like pressing the mute button on your own soul, if that makes any sense. You just yeah, can't yeah. do that. Like that, that band for me was not slapping something together, see how it goes. You know, you've read the lyrics and you know what's going on. That band's my life. And you don't just turn your life off and go, oh, I do a new life now. You know, but we were, we were so devastated at the time. We just tried to start fresh. We tried to hit like this reset button, which was just impossible to achieve. And even in the um, conceiving of that idea, we just kind of got that wrong. We probably sh still should have played those songs. And particularly Figure Eight, you know, that's Lats's baby. Figure Eight, the music for Figure Eight, right up until the first bridge, that's, that's all Lats. The verse riff, the intro riff, the chorus riff, that's all his. And I sang over that, you know, the melodies and the lyrics. So I know we're kind of diverging here a little, mate. But at the end of the day, we should have just kept playing those songs. Now, the other two quit the band and legally they signed papers saying that, you know, they hand over the name Memento. So, I mean, really, we could have. We could have stayed Memento. We just, we didn't. And whatever we were called, though, mate, we probably still should have played some of those songs in our set even just for the catharsis and that feeling of joy that music brings. But we, we vowed to not play any Memento songs. That's how, that's how devastated we were. And it just didn't work. Yeah. So the next project of yours that uh, I was clued into via MySpace was Nine Times Bodyweight, which, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken, had three quarters of the Memento lineup. But I don't recall you guys ever putting out any music. What, what happened with that band? Oh, man, you're asking all the real questions. Um, I, I tried how to dare you how dare you <laughs> um and again i'm not big on prefaces and disclaimers but can i give you one another one before i answer this sure there's no sense of being a victim in any of this i'm just going to give it to you straight so our ex-guitar player went off and did his thing and it was you know it didn't work out the way he wanted it to and i think like everybody in the original memento lineup everyone has probably a few times a year if not a few times a month a little pang a little a little zinger in the system that goes huh we were pretty good huh and then that person goes oh i should call justin right 
And then I'm sitting there going, oh, man, better late than never. I love you guys. I love our band. I love our songs. But even then, we probably just should have gone back to being called Memento instead of nine times body weight, really. But again, there was this thing of starting fresh and yada, yada, yada. It's like chimpanzees trying to conduct brain surgery. <laughs> you know, we, we, we didn't really have our shit together, man. But, you know, it, to answer your question, everybody realized, oh, fuck, we're about to throw away a potentially great band. And I don't say that with any ego. I'm not saying the best band. I'm not saying the greatest band you've ever heard in your fucking life. We had the potential to be a really great band. And I think in our own way, we were. And so whenever the opportunity would come up of like, oh, yeah, this guy's realized he wants to do it again. You'd be like, oh, OK, I wish they felt that way four years ago, but better late than never. Let's do this thing. And and what happened was, Lats, you, you'll have to ask Lats this question, too. You know what I mean? At some point, And I really hope you do. But Lats and I, we were all in. We doubled down. We were really stoked about um, we might not have been called Memento, but we were going to be playing Figure Eight live and Beginnings and Nothing Sacred and Coming and all those songs that we really loved playing live. Our, our babies, you know, your songs are your babies. And right. so we're getting it together, we're doing the thing, we're ready to rock, and we've got Jeff Bowders on drums. And can I please just say, Jeff Bowders, if you are out there, you rock, sir, you rock. Um, Jeff was and is one of the greatest drummers I've ever met. He's also a beautiful guy. He's a really good human. And, you know, what's he doing today? He's practicing his paradiddles. You know, he's practicing his polyrhythms. He's teaching kids how to play drums. He's teaching less fortunate kids from disadvantaged backgrounds how to play drums in communities around LA. He's doing his thing. He's a musician. And so we finally had this band that was like, wow, maybe things happen for a reason, right? Because yeah. this drummer, and I love Steve. I will still rate Steve in the top three or four drummers I've ever played with, right? This this podcast isn't about, I don't like you anymore. Your drumming sucks, you know. It's, <laughs> it's about being honest. And my honest feelings are Steve's a beautiful human and one of the best drummers I've ever played with. And I we wouldn't have formed Memento without Steve. But, you know, you put Jeff in that band and we were ready to be anything. So we were ready to, because of his prowess, on, on the skins, we were ready to keep doing the memento thing. We were also ready to add a little more firepower. So if we wanted to hit that kind of tool thing a little harder, we could have we, we could have played any genre we wanted to at any moment of any day, depending on what we felt like playing, is what I'm trying to say. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, fuck, things happen for a reason. This This could be the best band I've ever been in in terms of, you know, the quality of the players, right? And then Jason quit again. The studio that we went and got for us to start rehearsing nine times body weight in, we talked to the landlords. They were the landlords that used to do the memento rehearsal room. We, we get into that thing. We were rehearsing in, on Ivar Street in Hollywood. And next thing you know, Jason's quit. He's moved his own equipment into that studio and he's using that studio for his own projects and the band's not together anymore, you know? So I want to be really careful to not vilify anyone in what I'm saying, but there comes a time in your life, bro, where, how do I put this? You know, I got sober for 12 years, right? 
and part of getting sober is you you do a fourth step and in your fourth step you take responsibility for your part in any resentment that you have you know what i mean and so i went out of my way to make peace with everyone from that chapter in my life the manager the guitarist the drummer and say look you know what i have my part in this whole thing I take responsibility. I fucking love you guys. That's it. I don't want any pain. I don't want any animosity. I'm not going to carry any grudges. Are you with me so far? Right. Yes. Right. So that that that's the road I was going down. Now, one of the things that happens when you do that, if you do it blindly and you don't really acknowledge some of your feelings, they're going to creep up again later. You know, and down the track, you're going to feel this little noodling of a resentment in your heart. So I don't want to vilify anyone. But you can cut to the song Legacy if you want, because I'm sure you know we put out a song called Legacy a couple of years ago. Right, and I was actually going to ask that. You guys, the band came back again in 2016. Well, you I, had a Facebook page and a Twitter, and that came I, out in... Can yeah. I ask you Can I ask you a question, please? Sure. I don't, I don't want you to go off script, but can you please ask me, hey, what happened to Memento in 2017, 2018? Could, would you mind that, asking me that? That was the, well, that was going to be the next couple questions. The band came back in 2016. Legacy <laughs> came out in 2018. I yeah. was going to ask how the band came back together and, and, and then why there's not been any activity with Memento since then. <sighs> you keep asking all the tough questions and I love you for it. Yeah, so around that time, I was going through a little bit of a rough time and the idea of having one last crack at trying to put this thing together. So it came from Lats and it came from Jason and I still have the video message and I won't play it for anyone, but it was Jason and Lats. They had broken bread. And for anyone out there that doesn't know what that means, no, that doesn't mean I was smoking a bowl and eating pizza. <laughs> what it means is they, <laughs> they, they made up, right? And again, I don't know why this song, because the guys in the band never really loved the way the song Abyss came out on the record, but Abyss was one of our best songs in the demo stage of Memento. But in the background, Abyss is blaring on the home stereo, and those two guys are sitting on the couch and Jason's looking into the camera of his phone. He's going, man, how good were we? Why aren't we doing this, bro? Why aren't we doing this? You know, and Lats is in the background. My boy, I love Lats. He's just nodding, right? He's doing that kind of, he's right. You know, that, you know, like, um, it was like, almost like something out of a comedy routine in retrospect, you know. And, and I loved the gesture. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I loved it is my point. So I'm sitting here in Sydney and I get this video message and I'm like, so what I did was one of the few things that I really, really love in the material world is a motorcycle. I don't really care about money at all. I don't really care for big houses. I'm a renter. I live in an apartment. It is what it is. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy to be alive and have a roof over my head. And I'm grateful every day for that. Right. The one material thing that I treasure is a motorcycle. And I've never bought a brand new one, just so you know. I'm going to demystify myself here. Like the lead singer of Memento has never, ever bought a brand new motorcycle, only secondhand, right? And, and I'm comfortable with that. But the motorbike I had at the time was a KTM Super Duke, and it was matte black, and it looked like something out of Mad Max, and it was 990 cc's of pure filth. 
I sold that motorcycle so that I could fly to LA and be with the guys for a few months on a tourist visa, sleep on the couch at my mom's place because my mom still lives in LA and try and put this thing back together. And what happened was what you would expect to happen, my friend. The music was great. And Jace had a riff. You know, in the Memento stuff, I wrote a lot of the riffs. And Jason would play lead guitar and do a lot of texturing. And in this instance, Jason wrote a really cool riff. And it was the riff for Legacy, the, the, the verse riff and the chorus riff. And I really liked it. And I went to the coffee bean in Los Velas with headphones. And I wrote those lyrics in about 90 minutes. And we recorded it the next day. And it sounded great. And there's three other songs that sound really great. There's, there's, there's basically an EP sitting there waiting to be released, right? And Lats was excited. I was excited. Jeff, who I told you about before, Jace, right? <clears throat> the drummer. Yeah. What do you think he was doing at the time? He was doing what he always does, playing drums like a beast. And then it came time to put the drums down. And, you know. People can accuse me for oversharing in this particular podcast. I've never, ever done this. So it really isn't exclusive in the sense that I don't talk about these memento things. I think you would have noticed on my socials too over the years, man, that I've never, ever said anything about memento on my socials other than, wow, check out this old video that we did. You know, I've never got drunk at two in the morning and talking to my camera going, nah, 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 nah. do you know what I mean? Like others yeah. have done that. Others have done that. So in the cold light of day, on a really beautiful sunny morning here in Sydney with a coffee in my hand, what I'll tell you is that Jason said, we're not going to put real drums on the record. And at that point, Jeff was like, well, what's the point of having me? And Jason said, well, for live and um, for photos. Now, here's the thing. I want to go backwards a bit here. When I sold my motorbike and said I was coming over, I said, I'm coming over on one condition. Jeff is the drummer. Jeff is the drummer, and that was agreed to. You get to a point with these new recordings, with Legacy and this new phase of Memento, which you're asking about, where you're going, okay, it sounds good, but something doesn't feel right. And basically what was happening at the time is that the guitarist, Jason, didn't have his publishing deal or whatever anymore or this or that. So he was feeling pretty, I don't know, lost, I guess and wanted to put the band back together to fill a void, I suppose. And his thing he does with the female singer, and she's wonderful, by the way, the singer of Digital Daggers, she's really great. And I think she's really talented, but um, Digital Daggers wasn't happening anymore, or they were having a hiatus. So you get a bit of this void filling thing going on. And basically, once again, for the third, if not fourth time, you've got a band called Memento with a bunch of songs, and I thought Legacy was a really solid song. I'm not going to say it was our best by any stretch, but it was solid. It was a good way back in. And I left America to come back to Australia with the idea that the EP was really already recorded. So I sang my ass off for the time I was there, right? And I worked hard. We all worked hard. Jason worked hard. Everyone worked hard. So basically, there was a Memento EP ready to go, mixed, produced, and to Jason's credit, it was engineered really, really well. It was produced really well. We sounded really, really good. And the idea was I come back to Australia, get my shit together, and we do this thing and work out how I get back and how we tour and all of that. And then I, I don't want to sound condescending, but, but Jace, I'm going to need you to prompt me. I'm going to need you to ask me, what happened then? Do you mind asking me that? What happened then? 
<laughs> Thanks, man. He quit, you know, and uh, I, I get an email saying, oh, I'm going to have to put Memento on hiatus for at least a year, if not two, because um, I'm doing this band now. And the band was fine. It was really poppy, kind of. Like, I just get the sense that, some people are just always chasing the next opportunity to sell a record. And some people are in there to put together something special. And one of the guys in that band just kept quitting and quit again. So I don't know what to tell you, man, other than the guitarist quit. And the way the songwriting was, we were splitting everything four ways and we were all in it together. And, and, and I made sure that Jeff was in on that as well in terms of the publishing even though he was the drummer that was not allowed to play on the recordings it's it's hard to go oh well just because you're quitting we're going to keep going it was just this weird thing where yeah we could keep going but the whole point was jason and i together it's pretty special that guy and myself together in the same band makes for some pretty cool music but it's like being married to someone who just does a runner on you all the time who just always leaves under pressure leaves under any kind of duress they bail so for better or for worse i'm telling you now that's what happened and it happened again and remember remember when um it was i think it was george bush jr right when he really screwed up that um that saying he said there's no saying in texas Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me again on the other. Well, you know, well, well, well I, I'm just not going to get fooled again. You know, <laughs> and, and the saying is actually fool, fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's the saying. Right. But I'm an optimist, man. I love the band and I, I love as, as human beings. I love Lats. I love Jason space as he's called i love steve i really love jeff and i'm, I'm a softy so why did i keep going back it's because i really thought we had something special and i really felt that we could overcome our handicap and a handicap seemed to be commitment <laughs> you know what i mean I, I really thought if we could stick together even if we're even if it's 15 years down the track the band still has something to say and people would still really love it you know i had a i had a guy on the show once he was a he was a dude goes by the name of tuck who's from a uh, met him in the local jersey scene and uh when i interviewed him about his band uh, after the show we talked about i had talked to him about how i was trying to get you on the show and he was just telling me man that band was so fucking good I was like, oh, they got this, you know, they had this new single, Legacy, come out. He's like, oh, I had no idea. I was like, Justin's been, and we're going to, I'm going to ask you about this next. I was like, Justin's been making other music all along, too. Here's his Facebook yeah. page. He's like, shit, I had no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, Tuck, if you're out there, uh, a big cosmic hug to you, man. And uh, nice to, nice to meet you through the airwaves. There's a lot of different stuff going on. And Melodies for Eulogies is sort of the culmination of, of all of that. It, it sort of. It came to me that what have you got to say when it's just just you in a room, you know, like if it's just you and an acoustic or you and a piano. And again, I've always loved those bands, whether it's Zeppelin, whether it's Talica. I love the variation within their music. You know what I mean? And um, it's interesting because we've just been looking at things through a really heavy memento lens or a memento filter. And that's cool. That that's that's the reality of it. 
and you, you're listening to songs that would have been on the sixth the sixth or seventh memento record really is what's happening like we would have grown and developed into the stuff you're hearing now the piano driven stuff the finger picking acoustic guitar stuff you know and um so in a way it's all been sifted down to its rightful place so melodies for eulogies is exactly where i'm meant to be right now and i and i wouldn't change it because a lot of the songs on this record were born out of that struggle to get back on my feet after losing that band you know right right a lot of how i discovered what you were doing was through myspace it was like oh here's this new myspace page and so you in addition to memento and man versus clock and nine times body weight you had a myspace page for your solo material yeah i had downloaded (laughs) sketches and just enough from myspace years ago and then There was a point in time where you, and I'm I'm sorry if I get the specifics wrong in this case, you were lobbying to, there was a contest of sorts where you were going to be able to sing a song for a rugby team. And so you would ask people like, vote for me, listen to my video and vote for me. And so I did that and I reached out to you again and you said, oh, I'm going to send you some of my solo stuff. And it was those same songs that I had downloaded from your MySpace years ago, but they were a little bit better uh, quality as far as the just the MP3 was a better quality than what MySpace had allowed me to download. So those songs, I mean, like, so when you emailed those to me, that was nine years ago. Dude, and that's, you know on my insta page or on facebook you know i i did a little thank you to camera a couple mornings ago and that's the whole point the whole point is that it's um it's taken 15 years man and as i say if you, if you had it told me in 2003 or 2004 that your next full-length studio record would be in 15 years uh, or thereabouts i would have told you, you were absolutely mental I would have told right, you. Yeah. I, w- I would have told you you were mental, and some of the songs have been around from right around that time. Some songs are around from, you know, 12 months ago. And yeah, it's it, it has been hard won to get this thing released. I talked a lot about perfectionism as well, man, and procrastination and how those two things they work in concert and they work in tandem with um, devastating effectiveness, you know, and fear or, or not bothering putting the album out because ah. Oh, you know, I'll be really honest with you, man. Today we're heading down a really sort of honest, vulnerable trip, which is it's not always comfortable, but I'm happy to do it. But you're talking about a, a mindset a few years ago where it was like, fuck it, I'm just not going to do music anymore. I'm not going to put anything out. And what's the point? And so just to get that album out was a fight just to get that thing done and yeah it started 15 years ago right um, yeah so you, you mentioned the you mentioned the video on your socials you know because those song sketches just enough they were included on melodies for eulogies it just came out on friday yeah. you posted this video on your social media and you said and i could quote it i wrote it down exactly if you had told me 15 years ago that my next full-length record wouldn't be released till 2021 i would have said you're either severely underestimating me or there might have been something in your food that has attacked your brain cells <laughs> Uh, this is the problem when you're just talking to a camera. This is the problem when you just do a podcast and you're willing to just not censor yourself. This is the problem is that you hear stuff back and you think, wait, who said that? Oh, I said that. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean it. It's it's true. The cool thing about that, though, Jace, is that the second one won't take anywhere near as long. It's already half written and I'm pumped. I'm really excited about it. And Not to gross anyone out, but the Melodies for Eulogies record is like a spiritual and emotional enema for me. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, if I didn't defrag the fucking system, if I didn't defrag my soul, my mind, my body, my spirit, anything move, moving forward would be looking over my shoulder going, what happened to Memento? Or what happened to that Sketches song? Or why did I never really sleep on stones properly? Why did I only... Like, I would have constantly been looking over my – I typically typically look over my left shoulder when I'm walking, my friend. And, and what you can glean from that is we all have a blind spot. I should probably look over my right shoulder as well. But more appropriately, I should keep looking fucking forward as we all should. But I wouldn't be able to walk into this next 40, 50 years of making music. And, and I'm giving you an exclusive right there, my friend. I, I wouldn't be present for the next 40, 50 years of music making if I didn't experience the enema that was releasing melodies for eulogies and the point of melodies for eulogies, even the point of beginnings, the record, the point was never to make a bazillion dollars. The point was there is something in me that if I don't get it out, I'm going to go crazy. And it's the same with melodies for eulogies. Yeah. There was a 10 year gap there where I went and did theater, you know, and um, for 10 years, I, I, I was, I sound like such a fucking wanker, but I was a method actor for 10 years. Like I became other people for three or four months at a time. And I was, I was quite good at it. And it was a great escape. Key word being escape. And one of the things I love about coming back to music and if I'm getting too esoteric or fucking a bit out there, just tell me, man, and whatever we can, we can talk about whatever you want. But if I didn't, do those things I, I wouldn't be present with you the acting thing was was medication in a way Dis disappearing into those roles was medication and i guess the point i was trying to make just before mate is that i'm where i'm meant to be so writing songs and performing them pretty soon of course is going to be wonderful too but writing the songs is me in my best place that's me in my absolute it's like when you see a, a crocodile on a golf course and they're just in the sun with their mouth open, just sunbathing. That's a crocodile in its right place. You know what I mean? No fucks given. It is what it is, right? And that's me when I'm making music. And so, yeah, the acting thing was cool. And it was a great way to not have a complete and utter nervous breakdown because it kept me occupied. But it really has all just been a delaying of the inevitable, which is to make music. So I feel much more in my own skin these days than when I was sort of I was a transgender woman for four months in in one particular performance and I, I was a guy with you know Asperger's isn't the correct terminology anymore high functioning autism is the correct terminology but I was a guy with high functioning autism for four months and I embodied those characters to the point of driving my friends crazy a little bit but it kept me going it kept me sane and it, it kept the bills paid for a while as well yeah so you sort of already touched on it a bit, but in, in watching the videos that you've been putting on your social media lately, reading what you've been writing on your social media lately and listening to the, the bonus track, the last track on the melodies for eulogies where you just talk and you sort of thank everyone and everything. Yeah. I, I honestly can't recall ever hearing, and I'm sure that there are people out there that, that are, but I've never heard anyone just speak so passionately about their music as you do. And I was wondering if you could tell me about what it is about the experience of writing and performing music that, that speaks to you the way that it does. Yeah, I can tell you. And, and, and perhaps this is where people will understand why Jason or Space and I have connected so magically with music because I want to clear one thing up before I answer that question specifically. Space and I are connected on a cosmic level. 
musically and there is no escaping that and I, and I choose that word carefully there is no escaping the reality that him and I together is um, is a force majeure and one of the reasons that probably is is that he will probably answer your question in a similar way not the same but similar that is to say that he has a different family story to me but what I can tell you is that in my family story, so my parents separated or divorced at three. I went to live with my grandparents. My best friend, since I can remember, has been a piano or it's been a guitar or it's been a stereo. And that is the simple truth of it. It is, it's not just what I like to do, it's who I am. And even when my parents were together in that household, one day my dad's practicing putting together a version of Liszt the, the classical pianist, he's he's transposing that to flamenco guitar and in his little study practicing and slamming the door shut so he can practice more. But then the next day he's blasting Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. So when I came into this realm with all you guys, um, it was just there and it, it was just everywhere. So every fiber of my body had some kind of music in it already. And I don't know how much you look into sort of in utero stuff, but Again, my first concert was in utero. My mum and dad went to a Rolling Stones concert here in Australia when I was inside my mum. That sounds weird. When, when my mum was pregnant, <laughs> when my mum was pregnant with me. So yeah, it's it, it goes beyond something that I'm interested in or do. It it is exactly who I am, and it's it's all of me, you know. So it's always been my closest closest friend because I did a lot of alone time as a kid. Like a lot of us have, man. I'm not special. Hey, I'm only answering this question because you're asking it and we're doing this podcast because some people heard this band years ago and, they, and some of them liked it. And so here we are talking about, I don't need to go around telling people this stuff is what I mean. But because you're asking me, I'm going to give you the truth. Yeah, there was a lot of loneliness to the point of desperation as, as a kid. And that soft spot is where all of this comes from, you know. Yeah, I know the lyrics get more specific about different chapters in your life, but I think a lot of it comes down to that really compressed, intense feeling of aloneness. And and what happens though, there's, there's a beautiful thing that happens too. This isn't this isn't like poorme.org. From that point, you develop, you start making friends with the piano. You start making friends with little melodies in your head. Even as a kid, you, you're humming things or you're you're drawing things or you, you've got make-believe friends or, you know, every so often I go to my, my auntie's place and she had four kids and like, I would go there on a Sunday every, I'd be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You can play with people. But for the majority of the time I was with my grandparents, like an only child, but with grandparents, what could go wrong? <laughs> but you also got to ask what could go right? Because I learned piano under the tutelage of my grandma and my granddad and um it's always i keep giving these really long answers man it's gonna be the longest podcast in the fucking history of podcasts but now you know what if it makes you feel better my second episode was two and a half hours long oh dude i'm gonna i'm gonna get another coffee ready the the short answer to that question it it has been my best friend since i can remember music music has and 
sometimes you connect with people who who have had a similar experience and it's been really nice to get back into it and reacquaint myself you know how we were talking before about when lats and i were trying to do man versus clock it just didn't feel right well postponing and delaying doing music hasn't felt right you know so that's exactly why we are where we are today with this discussion with melodies for eulogies and that enema like effect not the tool album i love tool i really do I got to tell you a quick funny story. When I was doing the vast thing, one of my LA stories is a drummer friend of mine who was Australian was playing for a female solo artist for her showcases in LA at about the time that I had just booked the vast gig as as the guitar player. He invites me to a barbecue. He says there's going to be a few musos there. And I know this guy is one of the best drummers in Australia. His name's Lucius, right? And um I'm like, yeah, yeah, barbecue sounds cool. We get there. It's Adam Jones's house, the guitarist of Tool. From Tool. <laughs> and I'm sitting, cut, cut, to, cut to an hour later, I'm sitting in a jacuzzi, sipping a beer with Tom Morello to my right and Danny Carey to my left. And them going, huh, that's a crazy journey, you crazy Aussie. Well, I was telling them, like, how the hell I got to L.A. with the audition for Vast. <laughs> And um, you're just sitting there going, pinch me. What? I don't mean, you know, I don't mean like that. I mean, um, you're sitting there and you're saying, dude, someone punch me in the face as hard as I can so I know I'm not dreaming. Because that, right. that to me, like, yeah, getting signed and blah, blah. Dude, I'm a fucking music fan. You know what I'm saying? Just like you are. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with music. And when I love a band, I love a band. Do you know what I mean? And at that particular time, I was I was pretty I was pretty obsessed with Tool at one stage. And to be in the presence of one of the greatest drummers to grace the earth in in a jacuzzi was quite surreal. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So now over the oh sorry go ahead. No no over to you man. Oh no what I was gonna say is is over the you know over the course of the you know last year being the shit show that it was. Uh, you know, you put some acoustic performances up on your Facebook, uh, and I really enjoyed that. It's never been a secret that I've always really enjoyed your voice. I've said as much to you multiple times. And, you know, and I had I was going to ask you, like, what made you decide to start doing that? But it really, I feel like you've kind of already answered that. I mean, music is just who you are. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, I still think it's a good question because I love a big production. Being in a studio and putting down you know, the drums, bass, guitars, panning the guitars, doing this and keys here, this, what about this here? What about that there? Production and mixing and, and um, producing an epic is, is really satisfying, you know, and, and um, I keep saying, I'm going to stop looking backwards, Jace, but figure eight is a testament to the kind of thing that I really love in the studio. I love that kind of production. You also get to a point in life, and I, I don't think it's age specific at all. I think it's, because I know 14-year-olds that already do this. But at some point, you just want to own up to the fact that at 3 o'clock in the morning, a melody will come to me, and this is what I do. I, I sit on the guitar and I, I sing that melody over some music, or it could be a piano for me. And then you go, well, I'm really interested in honesty these days. I'm really interested. I don't, I don't mean purity. That sounds a bit kind of like high and mighty, but I'm really interested in things boiled down to their absolute essence. Now, I'm still going to play in rock bands, and even these songs on Melodies for Eulogies, the majority, or at least half, is with a full band. 
so don't get me wrong i'm i'm still obsessed with bands and playing in bands and i want to put together a really cool band soon but i'm also interested in what or who is an artist at their essence and some of those recordings that's just what they are it's just me answering that question of like okay what have i what have I got to say? What have I got to offer right now, right here with, with a, a phone, a guitar and my voice? Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, I just think that's an interesting exercise. And I and I love it when artists that um, I look up to do it as well. You know, so, yeah, no, that, that's that's been fun. And it's a different time now. I felt so behind the eight ball just trying to get back into it, like. I had people tell me, you know, you're going to have to get a Facebook page for your music and you're going to have to join. Dude, I joined Insta like two years ago. Like I'm so behind the eighth ball. You know what I'm saying? But to my credit, I made my own website last year and it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm I'm sort of the same when it comes to comes to social media. I've said this in private. I don't know that I've ever said it on the show, but fuck it. I I'm not one that's like I I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I'm not gonna lie, but like Instagram has never really been my thing. I don't really take pictures. Twitter has never really been my thing. But through doing this show and reaching out and trying to book guests on the show in the proper way that you would do by reaching out to managers and reaching out to the publicists and all of that shit. You know, I reached out to, and I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I reached out to try and book a band on the show and their publicist said to me, well, what does your social media following look like? I said, well, I have this many followers on my Facebook page. Well, what's your Twitter and your Instagram? I was like, well, I don't have those. He's like, well, he's like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna waste our time booking with you if you don't have a following. Like, sign up for those sites, get a following, and then get back to me. And so that's why I have a Twitter. That's why I have an Instagram. Yeah. Because a publicist told me that he wouldn't give me guests unless I got one. You've just tapped onto something really important, and it's important for me to hear you say that i think it's important for yourself to acknowledge it but i also think it's important for your listeners to hear that because there's going to be musicians or artists that listen to what you do right and if you're out there and you're a muso you're a musician or a songwriter or a bass player or whatever a painter you are going to get asked that same question that jace got asked which is you know, when I got asked that question about a year and a half ago, Jace, it was, so tell me, what are your metrics? Because I was talking to some potential management, right? And I said, you mean like biometrics? Like, I can tell you i got a bald head and I'm about six foot tall. And I've got a beard. And I said, no, 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 your metrics, your numbers on your socials. And even 10 years ago, we haven't really touched on the Tenderhooks and we don't need to. The Tenderhooks, that was a band that was a beautiful band with Kelly Scott, Paul Ill and Katrina Link, a.k.a. Moxie Finks on the viola. There was even a stage where the person who decided to be the lawyer slash manager for that band and they were good. They were saying in the next couple of years, things are going to get pretty wiggy. You and I know you hate it, Justin. But you are going to have to start having a presence on the social media thing and posting content. And I was like, that makes me want to puke. It's changed a little bit now because if you can actually really be yourself on the socials if you do it right. You know, but there's people out there on the socials who are purely trying to amass attention for the sake of attention without 
there really being any message or without there really being anything to offer someone else. So in the same way someone might say in a 12-step program in a meeting for NA or AA or you know, a good friend might pull you aside and say the same thing to you or a good family member. They might pull you aside and they might say something like, hey, you know what? Maybe instead of disappearing up your own ass so much, what you could do is you could check in on some other people, see how they're doing and see what you could offer them. You know, what could you offer other people? What could you share with other people? So, I mean, if, if that's where you're coming from, and I don't mean to sound holier than now because I'm a jerk most days of the week. But my point is social media for social media's sake makes me want to puke. But I'm, I'm hoping, and you seem to be doing the same thing as well, man, by staying true to what it is that you do and what you're passionate about. You, you are getting to spread your message and your love of music and your love of people and your inbuilt curiosity that you have that makes you a really good I don't know whether you'd say journalist or podcaster or what have you, or I don't know what title you like to go by, but you're good at it and you're good at it because you're curious and it's coming from a good place. And that's why I said yes to it. And, and my point is getting back to socials and both of us wanting to puke with people asking about our metrics is it can still be put to good use if the person doing it has got their heart in the right place. But man, whether they're a publicist or management or whatever, Dude, my heart sank the other day. One of my dearest, and, and he's still one of my dearest friends. And he's in the music business, right? And I won't tell you what it is yet, and I won't give you the name of the song yet, but Melodies for Eulogies is all well and good. But there's a song that I cannot wait to release to the world in the next six to 12 months. And I was talking to him about it, and he heard the demo, and he loved it. And he thought, yeah, this could be really, this, this song could do well. And I was like, cool so any advice of things i could do in the interim just to get my shit together and blah 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 because i'm really keen to get back out on the road at some point put together a band and and he goes well to be honest man there are people i could put you in touch with right now who could help with this and they'd be really really into it personally but as professionals they're not going to be interested in anything other than your instagram numbers or facebook numbers or spins on spotify and I was like, you mean the fucking metrics? And he was like, yes, the fucking metrics. And, <laughs> and we, we both kind of laughed about it, right? But, dude, that's where the fuck we are. Right. Know? Well, so that's my thing is that, is that I have tried to build those social media channels. And the following is okay, being that I, uh, you know, not to shit on myself, but I'm not anybody. I just, this is something I do as a hobby because I went to college for radio and never got hired at Sirius XM. So it was like, fuck it, let's do this thing that I want to do. I always tell people I would appreciate the follow, but it seems like all the internet gives a shit about is if you're a hot chick with big tits or a cute kitten. Otherwise, they don't care. I'm noticing that the spins or plays or this or that, or, or now, now it's TikTok and I don't want to sound like a purist, right? I think not everything is designed for a musician or an artist or a journalist to express their views. Some things are meant to be just for fun. And I think it's a beautiful thing that it can be just for fun, but it makes it super hard for um, an artist when they're told what's really important is the metrics, right? And in the spirit of what you're saying, Jace, I know for a fact that I'll give you a random example. And kids, don't try this at home. I told you earlier I was wearing Ugg boots, right? 
like these like Viking woolen boots that are sort of like ankle high boots, but for people that like to keep their feet warm, they're not like gladiator boots. Like they sound like they're tough, but they're really the opposite. They're warm, fuzzy woolen boots that keep your feet warm when, when you're cold. Now bear with me here. Okay. If I took my boots off, then I took my jeans off. Then I took my underwear off. Then I took my jumper off. Then I took my t-shirt off. Right. And I was nude in my apartment. And yeah. then if I put my Ugg boots back on and then don't ask me why or how, but I've got this chicken hat, like it sits on your head, like a, like a hat and the, and the, the orange legs dangle past your ears and they, they wobble around. Like it's a, it's a themed hat that looks like a chicken. So picture this, I'm now nude. Okay. I've only got on Ugg boots, woolen boots, nothing else. I'm nude. I put that chicken hat on my head. I take my phone. I go to my local grocery store, which here is called Woolworths, right? Mm -hmm. I press record on my phone. I go to where the eggs are and I start screaming and go, I just start screaming and cracking eggs on my bare body in the shopping aisle with onlookers going, what's going on? And security coming and arresting me. That's getting... Two million spins by tomorrow. It's true. Like, it's sad, but it's true. That I mean, that's getting two million spins by tomorrow, bro. That's that's that that's real. In fact, let me call you back in fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the sad thing is, it is true, isn't it? It'd be kind of fun though. That that would actually, I'd actually watch that. <laughs> <laughs> so to just sort of tie into all this social media stuff, and you mentioned TikTok and you mentioned Spotify, the one question that's that, that regardless of of who I'm talking to is the signature question of the show is how do you feel about where the music industry is right now? I mean, we've already sort of touched on metrics and everything, but also just from a fan standpoint, it seems like most people would rather just subscribe to Spotify. Or, Ill, or or still illegally download music than actually pay for it because the 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 attitude is well bands make all their money at shows anyway what do i need to pay for the music for it seems like a two-part question it seems like where do you think music itself is at in terms of the quality of it and the second part of your question seems to be about how does a musician even survive even if they're willing to work hard and even if they're they're decent, you know, like pretty good at what they do. I'll answer the second part first. I mean, Paul McCartney is a Beatle, right? And it might not be the right podcast to say it on, but the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. That's the bottom line, and, and everyone grows from there. Your Pink Floyds, your Queens, your Metallicas, your, your whoever, right? So you've got Paul McCartney writing an open letter saying, what the fuck, Spotify? You can't do this to musicians. Now, Lars from Metallica, who had really lovely things to say about the band Vast, by the way, and Lars, thank you. I love Lars. And when he was getting the shit kicked out of him, I thought it was unfair. And I just thought it was unfair, not because I'm a money-grabbing prick. I thought it was unfair because he was a little bit ahead of his time, just trying to make sure. Like, they were already loaded, man. They were already they're set for life and, and for generations to come. The Ulrichs and the Hetfields are set for life, you know. But now there's a Beatle coming out, and he's talking about a slightly different thing. He's talking about a different format. But um, when you've got Paul McCartney, as well as 20 of the other biggest musos of all time, writing open letters to Spotify, I don't think he 
is trying to make sure that his family's going to be okay. He loves music, like so many of us do. And music gave him a life. And I think he wants music to be able to do the same thing for generations to come for people he's not related to, like i.e. other musicians who are working their asses off. Another Beatles can't break right now, bro. You know, like a band can't break. I think pop artists can break in the current format, but I don't think it's anywhere near as easy. And it was already fucking hard. It's almost become impossible to break as a genuine band or a genuine artist these days whatever that means, let's not have that discussion today because you can do whatever you want, right? It's near impossible. So I don't know exactly what your question is other than how brutal is it? Very (laughs) is my answer. Very. It's very intense. And yeah, you can break on the road. Oh, wait, COVID-19. Right. Yeah. You can't go break on the road yet. And let's let's not go down the road of COVID-19 and politics today, man. Let's just not. There's too many people out there talking about it, and we don't need to. Let's talk about people, okay? Now, concerts are coming back, and I said I wasn't going to get political today, but you guys now have an opportunity for music to come back in a big way over the next 12 to 18 months. There's already some really great summer tours I saw that they're willing to try out. And I I, I think, uh, I know you guys were doing really bad there for a while. When I say you guys, I say the United States. And I don't just keep an eye on the United States because my mum and my brother live there. I keep an eye on the United States because I love the United States of America. I lived there as a kid for two years. The United States of America let me fly over there and audition for a band and get signed and the united states gave me a visa to be in that band and the united states gave me a record contract and the united states let me live out a dream that i couldn't live here even though i was trying that was to try and get my band signed and go on tour so the united states i think is still intact and i think it still is a beaming light despite everything you guys have been through recently Despite all of that bullshit, we all look up to you, and I think for the right reasons. And it's nice to see the United States. I'm not talking politics, man. I'm going to talk science, although the two have been convoluted recently. It's great to see people recovering. I know it's a little slower than we want it to be, but concerts are going to be back, and people are going to be back. And at that point, with a country that's back on its feet biologically, medically, if I can put it that way, concerts are going to be back. And at that point, my friend, I think that's when we have to accept that you better be good live because it's the only way you're going to really get to do what you love. Unless you get your song on a movie or unless you license your song to a toothpaste commercial, you better be good live and you better fucking mean it because people can tell if you're fake. So maybe it's a good thing. And the last thing I want to say about that, if you don't mind, Jace, in regards to the United States, Memorial Day weekend, you know, Memento, I met a lot of people in Memento and I traveled to the United States in vast and Memento. I did probably four or five laps. The only place we didn't go was Alaska. We never played Hawaii, but I've been to Hawaii. We've played everywhere else, Rhode Island to, to Washington State on the other side of the country. And I met a lot of really, really fucking great people. 
And a lot of those really great people were service women and servicemen. And I just think because of the timing of today's podcast that, um, you know, I just want to give a huge shout out to all those people because as a society, we do look at a lot of cat videos and we, you and I have the luxury to sit around and go, yeah, I listened to that record. It was, it was so, so, you know, I listened to that thing. It was great. And we get to talk about, and those are the freedoms that we have. And Australia's in, in a similar situation the way we go about it and obviously we're close allies we have that luxury because service women and service men have put themselves on the line so let's just i wanted to just put a huge thank you out there to the people i've met the service women and servicemen and the people i haven't met because this conversation is not even happening if you don't live in a fucking free country and i just want to really sort of tip my hat and take my hat off and put my hand on my heart and say thank you to, to those women and those men. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can, I, I agree. I never, never served myself, but, but you can't shit on what those people do. <laughs> no, no. And I, I know there's politics behind just about everything in this world, but a lot of those young kids, man, young men, young women who've gone overseas to represent their country and with the best of intentions, you, you got to respect that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting, like, and then July 4th is pretty soon too, though, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, a month or so away. But yeah, man, in terms of where's music at at the moment, I'll have to ask you that question because I try to ignore some of it. Isn't that, that's not a horrible thing to say. I mean, I can't remember the last, do you know the last time come up, someone came up to me and said, dude, there's this really great rock band. I think you're going to love them. I'll try and go backwards for you, and I'm either going to show how ignorant I am or maybe how senile I've become, or maybe I'm spot on. But I remember someone saying, dude, you should check out Muse, M-U-S-E, really cool rock band, three-piece. The singer plays guitar and he plays piano. He's really talented. And I remember someone pointing out Muse, but that's going back 10, 12 years. And then before that was Steve, the drummer in Vast, saying, what do you mean you haven't really listened to Queens of the Stone Age? Because I was all like, yeah, no, I know Caius and I get it. But, you know, I, but the last I'm just trying to think of the last time. And, and we're talking about a specific kind of grouping of genres here, like a great rock band or a truly great crossover metal band you know it seems like there's this band i'm not sure if you're familiar there's this band that's out and they seem to get equal amounts of love and and super shit on hate called uh greta van fleet and people either love them or hate them because they sound a lot like led zeppelin they sort of present a lot like led zeppelin and in the public you know uh interviewing and stuff they they did they kind of deny that that's an influence on them which is crazy because they're basically (laughs) led zeppelin but it seems like like i said people either love them or hate them and that's that's sort of one of the ones you know they they, they were on saturday night live recently which is saying something for a rock band because they don't usually book rock bands anymore I'm going to have to check them out because you would think as someone who is an absolute diehard Led Zeppelin fan, then I would have heard of these guys, but I haven't. But again, I do live in a little bit of a shell occasionally just to not impose myself on the world too much or vice versa, not have it have its way with me too much either. So I like to try and maintain some neutrality. That's getting harder and harder the more I have to work on my metrics. Um, right. But but even in the basic servicing of my metrics, Jace, I haven't heard of these guys yet. Can you say their name again? Uh, Greta Van Fleet. I believe they're out of Greta Michigan. Greta Van Fleet. I'm probably going to love them. 
and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying bands haven't blown up. Like Disturbed blew up, and they deserved to, and they did amazingly well. And that crossover hit with the cover song, I thought was really, really beautiful, really genius. And the film clip was excellent. And that that's another story too. There's a memento story with Disturbed that if we have time, I'll tell you about in a moment. But they're, I gotta say, they're one of my favorite bands. Disturbed, mate, they've I, always I, been. I love Dan and I love Dave. I'll tell you all about them from our perspective in a second. We love those guys. I love those guys. But they're really the last. I mean, they did it. But I. one other thing. I, I am sometimes I could be referred to as a fatal optimist or I could be referred to as a little bit pie in the sky, we say in Australia. If someone's a bit off with the fairies, a little bit aloof or a bit kind of not with reality, someone might say, oh, that person's a bit pie in the sky. But I still retain the belief in my core that a lot of really great shit comes out of times like this. If you go back and let's go to some obvious beacons, right? So Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, and we're not necessarily talking like Spotify levels of things being crazy, but stylistically, there was nothing really going their way, really. And you get a kind of renaissance that comes out of a weird time. And then, of course, that has a backlash to it. And so the cycle goes on and then grunge dies and then blah, blah, blah. And I don't know about over there, but in Australia, there's a lot of electronica and a lot of hip hop and a lot of dance music and a lot of ultra, ultra pop rooted in electronic samples. Now, I'm not here to comment on that good, bad or indifferent. I've heard a lot of great songs that come out of those genres, but they have a limit. There's a limit to how much of it you can listen to before it starts to eat itself. Reminds me of that great band, Pop Will Eat Itself. And it will. But I've always felt, whether it's times in history, you know, the Renaissance is called a Renaissance for a reason because it's coming out of what? The fucking Dark Ages, right? And I think by degree, you can take that example to a musical climate. And I really think what it does if I'm being honest with you, I think it distills things down to who's willing to pay the price. I don't mean running an ad on Facebook. Who, who's willing to pay the price with their blood and with their music and with their stories, what they're willing to share with the listeners, what they're willing to create. I really think it creates an environment where some artists who genuinely mean it will, will break through because people are drowning out there, man. I think there's four guys on my block that released an album this fucking month. Three of them aren't even musicians. They do it for a hobby. And I'm not disrespecting people who put their music out there, bro. I'm just saying it's saturated. And because it's saturated, like anything, even in biology, whatever sort of breaks through, you see a little bubble at the top of all this slime and something has just popped its eyeballs out of the slush and it's looking up and it's going, right, you know, Fish had to learn to crawl for a reason. It wasn't because they felt like it. Something wasn't going down too well, and maybe they were getting overeaten by big fish Who knows? My point is, you can apply that to what, what we're seeing now, and I think you're going to see some beautiful artists emerge over the next five to ten years who, I'm not going to say they're analog, because that sounds like they're all going to be singer-songwriters and like gypsies. You know, That's not what I mean. I'm talking rock bands. I'm talking bands that have a, a pop element to them. I'm talking metal. There's going to be some great stuff come out of this. And I'm not just trying to be like, hey, everything's going to be fine. What I mean is the people who break through are going to be fucking good because they're going to have to be. 
Um, hey, I've got to ask you really quickly, where do you think the music industry is at? And my supplementary question to that is, and let me ask from a selfish point of view, how can an artist break through, whether they're 16 years old or whether they've got a beard like me? I'm going to I'm gonna answer like you did before. I'm going to answer the second part first. And the answer is that I don't really know. I feel like I am, and, and I, ha- I have had this conversation with other people on the show, but, but people that are on the show are musicians. I'm not a musician, but, but we, we have a similar DNA in that you know we want to support the art that we love, but that doesn't seem to be how most of the rest of the world operates. And so I buy a lot of CDs. Nobody fucking does that anymore. You know, I, whenever a band says they're putting out a new album, be it a a studio album, a live album, whatever it is, you know, I'll go to their website or to their labels website or whatever the the fuck it is. And I'll buy the most expensive version of it that comes with all the extra shit, the vinyl and the the keychains and the postcards and the wall banners and then this and then that, the bonus tracks and all that, because I want to support. But I feel like that's not how most people are. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting you've said that. And I got to say, can, can I can I just hijack part A of your answer really quickly? Surely. You've hit the nail on the head again. And it's so amazing to me. And I, I'm going to look at it through my own lens here. It's amazing to me the people who say have gone and bought melodies for eulogies, right? There's Which I did songs. for the record. No, you're a legend. You're a legend. And yeah, there's some songs on there that I already have because I released the singles. Right. But it's amazing to me the people who went and got the deluxe edition on Bandcamp, even even the ones who pre-ordered on iTunes, you know, they get less tracks, whatever. That's fine. But my point isn't that my point is I'm amazed at the people who are friends of mine who haven't done that and they care about me and they love me and they're my friends and blah, blah, blah. They don't get it. They don't get what the awesome people, and I want to thank, hey, hey, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've just streamed it, I don't give a shit. I love you for it, and I thank you for it, and you'll know why if you listen to my video message or thank you on Insta or Facebook. Just the act of listening to anything I put out there means a lot to me, right? But my good friends also know it's tough out there for musos, right? And I know they've got some coin. And I also know, because I run my own band now, and so there's not a manager doing all of this, or there is to a certain extent with some of it, but I see all the metrics, okay? So I know who's grabbed it and who hasn't. And I'm continually blown away by strangers who have bought this thing. And I'm also blown away by people who are friends of mine who haven't done it yet. And they love their music. And I hear them complaining about, yeah, it must be tough out there for musos. They haven't even bought my fucking record, bro. So what's it saying about all the other stuff they're listening to? Do you really think they're out there paying one cent more than they have to to listen to music for free? No, they're not. And these are so-called educated, reasonably nice human beings who are out there trying to do the right thing. They'll help an old lady across the street. You know, if someone drops their wallet, they'll return the wallet without stealing all of the money, just some of it. (laughs) But, you know, these these are good people. And I've even sent the messages going, hey, bro, it would mean so much to me if you grabbed this record. 
And I wasn't getting the money anyway because the pre-orders go into charity, man. So if you got this record on pre-order, Dace, it's going to Beyond Blue and it's going to White Ribbon, two charities I'm really passionate about, one to eradicate violence against women and the other to deal with mental health, particularly depression and anxiety. So it's not about the money. It's I want to take a bigger check to those two charities and go, look what we were able to achieve. So it's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to paint myself as a fucking saint. I'm just saying it wasn't even about me getting paid. It was about you guys know how tough it is out there for people and for musos. And you're constantly complaining about how you wish there was more good music out there. But then you don't go and support your local artist. I'm not telling them they have to go buy it, but maybe they need to shut up about caring about musicians. That's all I'm saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked pretty exclusively about your music career. You you mentioned a bit about acting and, and why you've done that. One thing that I wanted to touch on, because you've already sort of gone over your, your stage acting and stuff. Uh, I recently sent you a screen cap of you were on a couple episodes of the uh, NBC sitcom Young Rock. And I was just wondering how that came to be. Yeah, well, I've, I've been doing acting a long time. And actually, before I went and auditioned for Vast, I was a graduate from NIDA, which in Australia... I think in the United States, it's a National Institute of Drug Awareness or something. But here, NIDA is a National Institute of Dramatic Art. It's a three-year course. So I did that well before Memento. Well, not well before, but a few years before. And so I've always sort of had, a, I guess, an agent or what have you. So basically, the brief came out. I auditioned. Apparently, they obviously didn't check my backstory, but apparently they thought I made a good FBI agent. <laughs> 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 I know, and by that, I, I can actually confess to you, I actually don't have a criminal record, and that, that to me is uh, that's, that's, that's a solid effort. We've done very well. No criminal record. Maybe after a shave, I scrub up kind of FBI looking. I don't know. But no, you, had the, you still had the beard. <laughs> I did. They, I thought they were going to make me shave it. I really did. But um, it was set in Hawaii. So they figured of the time Hawaii, they were a little looser, maybe blending in a little more or something. I don't know. But the short answer to that, man, is that I, I auditioned. I jumped through a lot of hoops, a few different auditions. They had me in mind for quite a few different characters in that, and they eventually, FBI agent. That was cool. I know it was funny because you had posted sort of a vague thing on your Facebook a few months ago about Young Rock. I was like, yeah, okay, I know that's a show that's coming out. What's, what's he getting at? And then, like, I'm watching it one night. I was like, oh, fuck. He's in it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you sent me the screen grab, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Dude, that was classic. That was classic because I was like, fuck. So you got this photo and then it's like oh because it's already airing in the united states like in australia i think episode three or four is tonight i think here it started like two weeks ago or three weeks ago and it comes out on a sunday night and they it's on a drip so only one episode per week the season is already finished here correct correct so have i had a have i had I don't know if this is in season two or season one, but have I had a cake smushed on me yet? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there was a confrontation scene in a parking lot right before oh, okay, the, the okay, birthday okay. party. Yeah. All right. All right. Great. Great. Yeah. Lucky that was only a couple takes, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I'm really, I've always wanted to say this. I'm really blessed, Jason. <laughs> no, but I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky to be able to go and do those acting gigs. 
it always seems to come at a time where I'm like, oh, dude, I just I need a holiday or I need to, I need to get away for a weekend or I need to take my head out of these song mixes and just go to the beach or something. And these acting gigs come up and they're a really lovely respite. I have a hell of a lot of fun. I don't do the method thing anymore. I turn up on time. I'm well rehearsed. I do my job. I like to think I do it well when I get the hell out of there. And it's a really lovely, refreshing kind of reset for me. And I, I still love doing it. I still love doing it. But I think it's in its right place now. Five, six years ago, I was doing six to seven plays a year. So I was constantly absorbed in a character to the exclusion of all things, to the exclusion of friendships, to the exclusion of music, to the exclusion of my own finances and well-being. So look, we've struck a nice balance now. I like doing these TV and film gigs. I'm not overly interested in theatre these days. Not for me. I think it's a beautiful medium, a wonderful medium. But I've taken a step back from that. And for me, if I'm going to put my blood, sweat and tears into something, it's it's going to be the music. But I do have to say, it was just it was just cool to see you on my TV. I was like, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> In the following days, I got more screen grabs, like literally with captions like, who the fuck are you? Like, you just popped onto <laughs> my computer in the back of a van. You're some FBI agent. Like, yeah, I, I get around. Don't let anyone tell you I don't work hard. <laughs> so I assume that you filmed that sometime, you know, either last year or early this year. Other than that, you know, how, how would your 2020 have been different if Corona had not happened? We wouldn't be doing this interview because I wouldn't have released Melodies for Eulogies because it took a global pandemic for me to actually say to myself, oh, look, I'm an asthmatic. It's one of the reasons I loved being a singer. It was kind of my big fuck you to asthma. Like, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing till I can't breathe. I'm going to sing, goddammit. I mean, the blaspheme on, you know, the airwaves. But it's true. That's what I would say to myself. And when a global pandemic hits and it's about a particular thing that attacks the lungs and when I saw footage of Italy and when I saw people with pre-existing conditions writhing on the floor of hospitals because they were overbooked, overbooked, it sounds like people made an appointment. Hey, I can't <laughs> breathe at all. I'd like to make an appointment. <clears throat> like, what the fuck am I even saying? But when you see that, when you hear about it and you're an asthmatic, you, your partner kind of looks at you like, fuck, dude, you should stay inside. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I probably should. <laughs> you know, and my point is, I, I, I really felt like that'd be fucking right. I finally work out after the third or fourth attempt that we're not going to make this fucking second memento record. You know, I've given it enough time, right? I'm not even going to get to make the record I really want to make that's my record because I've left it too late. And now there's a global fucking pandemic. So selfishly, I'm sitting there going, of course, that's how this pans out. I don't even get to finish this record. No, but that that's the negative side of you, right? But there's a, there's a different part of me because I can occasionally get really determined. <laughs> and, um, and I just thought there is no fucking way, even if I'm carried out of here in a body bag and it's 12 months from now, it will not be before. I get this record out there and finish this thing. So it really, really, you would have seen a flurry of activity coming out of me the last 12 months, singles being released, website, on the socials, all of that stuff, posting, playing guitar, posting, playing piano. It's because, as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes those tough times, they crystallize a moment for you and they crystallize what's important and, and you just got to get it done. 
You just have to get it done. So what I did was, if you want full disclosure, and I've been really, really honest with you, more honest than with anyone else in the sense that, oh, it might be because of your questions. People haven't just asked me point blank, why did Memento break up? So as a person who values honesty, I've answered you honestly. And I'll, I'll go again with that. Like, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't finish this record. Yeah, it'd be something I constantly look back on and uh, and regretted not getting this thing out there. So, oh, that's right. The thing I was going to be honest about during the pandemic, this is really unsexy. This is really un-rock and roll. This is really un-Ozfest. But I went and got a, a job in a call center working for charity. And yeah, they paid me a, a modest hourly rate. That's how it works when you do telemarketing, right? But it's for a good cause. So I felt like I can live with myself. It's cool. I'm happy with this. I mean, I hated doing it. Hey, hey I understand my, my, my regular job is a call center job. I get it. Oh, dude, dude. Hey, here, and here we are on our off day on the fucking phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my, you know what I did? You know what I did? I got my fucking hands dirty, bro. I, I worked full time. I worked my ass off because I needed that dough. And call centers were one of the only places here in Australia that didn't get shut down for that six months, right? And as you can tell, if you didn't know before, I've got the gift of the gab, as you can plainly tell from this interview that's going to go for seven hours. But no, I, I got a job and it was my first ever, ever office job. You can imagine some of the run-ins. Over, over an iced coffee one day off air, I'll, I'll talk to you about some funny moments at work and middle management and all that. Like, I've never had to deal with that stuff ever in my life, right? Like, right, right, like right. Pe people in an office? What the fuck? right? I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying I am on an alien planet right now. Who even is the general manager? That, oh, that guy? Oh, okay. I have to go talk to him? All right, cool. But my point is I got a job that I knew that I would find really hard emotionally, and I would leave every day going, what are you doing? Aren't you meant to be doing X, Y, Z? And you've just done eight hours at a call center, right? And this is what I mean. Like, this might sound unsexy and unrock, but at the end, can I tell you, it's the most rock and roll fucking thing I've ever done is gone and worked a job that I knew I would find hard, that I knew I would find boring. I went and worked that job five days a week so that I could put my fucking music out there. So in retrospect, it's the most rock and roll thing I've ever done is to back myself in and say, bro, I don't give a fuck if you're broke. I don't give a fuck. You're going to go get a job. You're getting this album out there. And no, the reason you're going to go work full time instead of two days a week is because you're going to fucking get the artwork you want. You're going to get to have Sarah's artwork on your singles, on your record, the recordings, the mastering. Some of the stuff had to be remixed, remastered. Some of the stuff got redone. There's new stuff on there as well. All the acoustic stuff is just before the COVID era, but it was a similar concept. There's, I had to work. I had to work to get this album done and to pay for stuff and to pay for, again, very un-rock and roll alert, but I had to pay for music videos, man. Like, yeah, I've got friends that sort of can help with that stuff, but they didn't do it for free, brother. So the most rock and roll thing I've ever done is go and work in a call center so I could fund my two film clips and all my singles and all my albums and all the artwork and get them up on TuneCore. <laughs> you know, yeah, I do it because, you know, I do it because I've got kids and I can't I can't 100%. wait for the radio job that I want to have to come along. I've got to do something. 
Yeah. You know, I've got to pay yeah. the bills and, and feed the children. Children get hungry. Yeah. And I got nothing, I got nothing but respect for you for that, man. And, and that's, that's kind of what I mean. It's been the most rock and roll thing I've ever done because it's hard out there. It's hard out there for people. And I think it's been really good for me to, I, I was never, ever born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I got to do music and acting for a long time without ever having to do a job type job. So when I tell you my first ever office job was like 18 months ago, that's a luxury to be able to say that because it's hard out there, man. And that nine to five grind is, it's a real thing and it's really tough. Like no wonder people have bobbleheads on their desk, man, and flick them every now and then because it's fucking hectic. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I find it hard to, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to be a completely different person in that job from who you are. You know, I tell people all the time, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, DC comic show Doom Patrol used to be on the DC streaming service and then they closed that down and moved all their shows over to HBO Max. And so there's this character on Doom Patrol called Robot Man who's uh, he's played by, I don't know who the actor that plays him, but he's voiced by Brendan Fraser. He says fuck a lot. And I just tell people like Robot Man from Doom Patrol is my spirit animal. And it is right. super hard when you say fuck a lot to like work in a call center. Like I got in trouble the other day cause I muted myself and said, fuck, but apparently the, the mic still records everything you say, even if you mute the customers. So I got in trouble. Oh, They're yeah. like, you said fuck on the phone. I was like, well, did the customer hear it? They're like, no, but you still said fuck on the phone. Like you're in trouble, dude. And, and were you put on, a, were you put on a final warning? I was, yes. Basically, they told me that this is going to stay on my record for a year. And if I fuck up at all, I'm fired. Wow. That's really lovely of them. So, but I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to do what I can to. Hey, to... can you can you do me a favor? Can you just yeah. can you pass can you pass on a message to your boss from me? I can try. Yep. So w- when you get there, just say fuck you, pal. And um, no, don't do that. Don't <laughs> no, do no. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it ended it ended in tears uh, when I when I eventually had enough because all of the politics and all of the rigmarole and not treating people nicely and there was a particular person there who was kind of the baddie of the place who was always making people's lives miserable and I got to do that thing I won't quite say it was like a Michael Douglas falling down moment I'm sure you know that film where he loses I it do. And, I and, the, my... and the Iron Maiden song that's about that film <laughs> yeah yeah and anyone who knows me well knew that this day was coming like anyone who knows me knows that after x amount of time in the confines of an office chained to a headset and a mic piece like a leash that this day was coming and something was said to me by a little pop-up message some little passive aggressive message by the guy in the corner who's the general manager right and it just happened i took my headset off i um put my backpack on my shoulder and i walked over to his corner he was on a call i said hey and he said i'm on a call i said hey he said i'll call you back and i said you are fucking kidding yourself. He said, um, I, kidding yourself. And then I said it again, you're fucking kidding yourself. And then I stormed out. But <laughs> then I wasn't satisfied. So I took my little swipey pass. I had to swipe myself back in the glass door, security door, to open <laughs> the door one more time so that everybody heard me say, kidding your fucking self. <laughs> and, then I, and then I left. You know, it's funny. He actually Instagram messaged me the other day and asked if I'd come back. I swear to God, I'm not even joking. <laughs> wow. I'm not even joking, bro. 
I think I was doing pretty well there. I, I was calling for a charity I really, really loved. I won't. No, actually, it could be incriminating. They they should not know that it's me that's been helping them. So no, I won't say who it was for. But it was a charity I love. Yeah. No. This uh, I'm not going to say who I'm working I th- with. I, th- I think anonymity if they get wind of this, I might lose my job. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. A- anonymity helps me in in this respect. So I think you've got questions left, right? I think I've asked you everything except the final question, which is. Everything is starting to reopen. I don't know how it is there in Australia, but here in the U.S., finally, because of vaccines and stuff, things are finally starting to reopen. Like you said, concerts are starting to get booked. And so I was just wondering, in the general sense, the final question is what's next for you, but especially now with with things starting to reopen and what have you, vaccines out, people getting vaccinated, you know, will you be doing any touring? Like, so sort of what's next in general for you and for your music? Well, now I have to ask myself if I'm for real because, yep, Melody's Feel the Jesus Out. It's released. I'm super proud of it. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. And again, special shout out to Sarah Tune for her sick artwork, by the way. Now I've got to ask myself all over again. I think I forget which Shakespeare it's in, but it's, it's once more to the breach. And what it means is go again, even though you've just fought your ass off. You've got to get back to the front line again. And again, and we've got to keep going. And in football terms down here in Australia, they call it butter up. And by butter up, as in butter, like margarine, butter, they say, you got to butter up and go again, mate. So when you say, oh, what are we doing? I'm tired. I'm fucked. you got to butter up and go again. So every week after a colossal battle of Australian rose football, the coach will say, righto, boys, I know you're sore. I know you're all in the ice baths, but you got to butter up and go again. So my equivalent of that is... I've got to ask myself how serious I am about this now because it's all well and good to do the album stuff and the studio stuff, right? But the litmus test is live. And I've got to ask myself, have I got the energy? Am I willing to go again? Because I think you know me well enough to know, Jace, I don't like to do things half-assed. I'd rather not do it at all. So I might have to answer this part of the question on another day, you know, but I have to ask myself, am I willing to get back out there and tour again? And really do that thing that I think has separated me from the other guys over the years, which is I think live we go pretty well. I think I go pretty well, if I'm allowed to say that, without sounding like a complete self-absorbed wanker. But (laughs) I feel like the live show is something that goes well for me and that I love doing. You know what it's like, bro. you got to ask yourself whether, you know, I know I can do it. Should I do it? How do I do it? Who am I kidding? I'll, I'll get out there and tour for sure. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, I hope you. I certainly hope you make your way here to the states. I know that that's going to be an ordeal in and of itself, being in Australia. But I would yeah. love to see you back It'll here in New Jersey and and It'll see you face to face. You know. Yeah, and I, I I can tell you, man, that the second record will take about less than one tenth. It'll take about one fifteenth of the time that the first studio album is taken so there'll be another album within the next 12 months but at least another single if not two or three over the next six to eight months so the second record's going to begin in earnest man i'm not going to be sitting around kind of going what's happening with melodies for eulogies how are the metrics i don't really give a fuck i give a fuck about and i care about the people who've listened to it streamed it purchased it bought it whatever i love that and I can't wait to play for them live. But by the time I play for them live, the second album will probably be out. Yeah, I, in- uh, you know, because on that final track on Melodies for Eulogies, that, that, that 12 to 15 minute just spoken word thing, you know, you did 
put yourself on notice that you know you said if i put it out there then i have to follow through i'm gonna have a second album within two years yeah and that that's a promise i'm sticking to and it's not about material there's so much material right that i can't wait to share you know i i feel like there's a pretty cool standard being set now i might not have been that prolific but i feel like beginnings and i feel like melodies for eulogies they're two albums i'm proud of and so with me the next thing cannot be anything other than as good or better than those two records so with that in mind there's a quality control issue but it's also about you talked about spotify before and how does an artist survive i'm kind of my own record label these days like so many are now and you might find that we have a couple of more call center stories to talk about because i've got to fund the rest of the second album and I don't want to go into debt to a label. How do you feel about the crowdfunding thing that a lot of people do these days? It's not something I've done. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of, I feel like it's particularly cool for certain things like help this guy get a bionic leg, for example. I haven't really, you know, when I've heard friends or acquaintances go, hey, crowdfund my album, I haven't jumped on board with those things. You're more likely to see me donate to a a charity than that but i don't know what that is maybe it's just something in my mindset that's a bit a bit like i'm not going to go crowdfund your your stuff i don't know i'm trying to be really honest with you i've never really given to a gofundme thing as i say i'm more likely to help out with a, a charity i'm passionate about i guess i more meant like as an option for your own music yeah look if someone wanted to bankroll me and it didn't involve sexual favors or compromising my belief systems or compromising what i'm about i'd consider that but it's tracking along pretty nicely as it is but i I guess i could not have to go back to the call center for a couple months it's not a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) i've given to a couple you know and again i always like to support and so there was a band uh, anybody that that knows me or listens to the show knows I'm a big supporter of, of music in general, but I really like the band 40 Below Summer, which is yeah, uh, yeah. Out, of, out of Jersey here. And their last record was a, a crowdfunded album on GoFundMe. Was it and really? So, and it, well, yeah, and so they there was a thing where if you gave, you know, just like Patreon or anything else, like there's levels that you can you can contribute and so i contributed to a level on their crowdfund for their record where uh, my name is actually in the cd that's so and, cool, bro. and i was like that and i was like that's awesome like my name is and you know i did one for non-point once and they put out a t-shirt and everybody that gave to a certain level on non-points their name is on the back of the t-shirt so i have a t- really non-point t-shirt with my name on it like you know that's so, i like that's actually really shirt. cool that's actually a really cool thing. I, I've never really looked into it that much. That that sounds really great. Do you know? Do you know what Forty Below what their what the record budget ended up being? I can see if I can find it. Let me because uh, it's probably still on GoFundMe. Yeah, this this is why it would have been great for Memento to have made three or four records and actually broken before we broke up. Do you know what I mean? Like to be a, a semi-household name, at least within our genre, would have been really cool because you can do that kind of stuff. So I just looked up 40 Below Summer, their GoFundMe, which they did back in 2015. Looks like they raised just under 15 grand. And that'll do it. That'll get a record done for sure. And, you know, I'm not going to rule out, there, there's been a couple conversations, labeled stuff in, in its infancy stage, but there's also a part of me that wants to try and do it a different way. 
Do you know what I mean? I'm really happy to be a free agent at this very moment. And I really do want the music to sort of speak for itself for a little bit longer. And, you know, the crowdfunding thing or the GoFundMe thing is kind of cool in the sense that the only people who own you are fans. And that's the case anyway for me, at least spiritually, mentally, emotionally. You know, I, I got such respect and, it's, and it works both ways. So it actually sounds like a pretty organic the way you've explained it and the way that people like Summer have done it, particularly in, you, you mentioned Nonpoint, both of them I love, by the way. That actually sounds really organic. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, other bands have done it too, you know, and it's, you know, just again, just like, and I have, I always tell people at the end when I'm plugging social media, I have a Patreon account. I have not actually set up tiers for Patreon or anything. I signed up for the account. I'm lollygagging on doing anything with it. But like, I know that other podcasters that, you know, that's the way that they make their money is they set up this Patreon where people pay monthly and you give them extra content and shit. And that's similar to how Kickstarter and GoFundMe work where there's different levels, you know, and so you can just give a couple bucks or you give a couple hundred and the more you give, the more you get kind of a thing. You know, if it's for a new album, you get the album and then like 40 below did you got your name in it and i actually mentioned because a couple episodes ago i had their drummer uh on the podcast one of the one of the perks that they had for that gofundme that i have yet to redeem from them is uh, a private show in the rehearsal space really so there's all cool. kinds of stuff that you can do with that well you got me thinking now man that's really it's really good of you to share that idea and that's really not only is it clever but it's really organic what those guys have done i really i really like that i'll, I'll look into it you know, I had a friend who wanted to sort of, you know, particularly given that, you know, I've always been really passionate about the social side of things. And it was, again, triggered for me being back in L.A. for the vast and memento stuff, just the level of homelessness in, in that city and others, man, and others. But the world, the U.S. particularly, and some of the cities in Australia, the real homelessness problem. And I've always been really passionate about that kind of thing. And given the sort of the passions for social issues and what have you. We were at one stage thinking about, similar to what you're talking about, but more like a government grant from the art sector to help get a record across the line, knowing that an agreed to amount of the profits or what have you goes to shelters or this or that or the other or Meals on Wheels is another great organization over here that delivers food and that was an angle we were looking at too but I, I quite like what you've mentioned today I like these out-of-the-box ideas and the record industry's changed so dramatically hasn't it you know and I wonder if we'd be sitting here having this conversation if you mentioned Disturbed right well let's finish up on a couple of real great guys and a real great band and Dave Draymond Dan Donegan Disturbed I know there's other members of Disturbed, but those two guys particularly, well, first of all, we've opened for Disturbed and for Lincoln Park in Chicago. And I had not seen either band live. And um, of course, Chester just blew my mind. We sing really differently, but from one singer to another, it was just an immediate, holy fuck, does he do this every night? And if he does, I don't know how, right? Like legit singer just belting these soaring melodies. You know what I mean? Like just loved. But also Disturbed were there and the concert started, the lights went down and I thought, why weren't we allowed backstage for the last 30 minutes or even side of stage? What the hell's going on? This is a club. And the lights came up 
and Dave Draymond was strapped to an electric chair. And then they hit the lights and then he, he did the I'm getting electrocuted acting, right? And I was like, what the hell is going on right now? And it was like <laughs> a full stage show of him getting electrocuted and then <laughs> straight into the sickness, man. And it was like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. And he was prancing around the stage like a king you know, just owning it. And um, I didn't realize that we would end up chatting in much more detail down the track, but I hope it doesn't bring up any sort of old wounds. If anything, it should bring up really great memories. But there was a stage there right before we were about to sign with Columbia. We had a couple of things going on and we might have to do a different segment about this, about, do you remember those choose your own adventure books? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there should be one called Memento because we were looking at a scenario where we were going from eating two-minute noodles and nearly having to fly back to Australia, having to give up, to suddenly being in the position where David Boxenbaum of Octone Records wanted to sign us. And we thought, who is that? Like, oh, they're through J Records. He's just signed a little band called Maroon 5. They want to do one pop kind of rock band like popish kind of band and they want to do one kind of really hard rock band and so they want to focus on maroon five and you guys as their second band and we're like okay how long has octone been around and I'm like oh no they're just starting up i was like okay okay so octone wanted to sign us columbia wanted to sign us after they found out that octone wanted to sign us because columbia kept doing the yeah we're not sure if they're ready yet but as soon as octone said they wanted to sign us columbia said they wanted to sign us but at the same time columbia said they wanted to sign us dave draymond and dan donegan came to one of our rehearsals and then that turned into a, a really long conversation and it was a really good conversation and basically they were going to be getting an imprint for those that don't know what that means that's they were going to be given their own label within their label at Warner. So they were going to be given an indie label, basically, to run under the umbrella of Warner. And we're sitting there and we're like, that sounds epic and amazing. And Dan and Dave were really passionate about it. And the Choose Your Own Adventure book of Memento, you would love life to be one of those scenarios where you get to see a few things unfold. But of those three options that were suddenly in front of us, and don't forget, we've been working our ass off. We were starting to lose a little faith, running out of time. We were running out of money. And with a few Australians in the band, you're only there for as long as you can legally be there. You don't want to ruin the chance of ever coming back by overstaying your welcome. You know what I mean? So we suddenly found ourselves in this position where three labels wanted us. And Dave Draymond, Dan Donegan, their label wasn't established yet, but they were going to expedite it. And Memento was going to be their signing. And what that would have come in with would have been inbuilt touring right. with Disturbed, which would have been amazing. The Octone thing, in retrospect, Maroon 5, who hasn't heard of those guys now, right? And then there's Columbia. Columbia is one of the biggest record labels of all time, you know, and Alice in Chains, they're pretty good. <laughs> and Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's pretty good. And so is Bob Dylan. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah, yeah. you're sitting there and you're going, okay. And I don't want today's podcast to sound like it's one of regret. The memento thing happened exactly the way it was meant to. I got nothing but love for Steve, Jason, Lats, our management, the label people, everyone that helped get that thing across the line. Because let's face it, we did get to release a studio album on a major label and we got to tour OzFest and, and a bunch of other stuff as well. So we got to live the dream. 
the problem, and I'm not saying this because I need to tell you about it. I'm, I'm telling you in case there's someone out there who is in a band. With my experience, if someone I cared about came to me now and said, hey, I'm in this situation, what do you recommend? I'd say, well, what is the Octone guy saying? And the right. Octone guy was saying, well, we're going to put a bit less money into the recording of your record, but we're going to put $500,000 into tour support. And then I'd say, ask him why he's going to put $500,000 into tour support. Because at the time, I didn't even know what that really meant. I didn't even know what $500,000 US dollars translated to, whether that was a lot, whether that was average, whatever. But if I had have asked, what we would have found out is that David Boxenbaum from Octone, his plan for the band was to break over a five-year period by constantly touring probably just the first record. And David Draymond's plan and Dan Donegan's plan probably would have been very similar, but maybe get two records out over that period of time and just constantly tour with them and do some more Ozfests. And that was really a wonderful proposition as well. And with Columbia, you're kind of going, well, it's Columbia and they're established and we have put everything into this and maybe we have to go with Sony. In retrospect, you could probably toss a coin with Octone and Disturbs label and we might have stuck around longer. We might have got a second, third, fourth record. But your band is only going to last as long as the members last anyway, mate. So this conversation, just like the Choose Your Own Adventure books, it's fantasy. It's fun. And I love fantasy. It's fun to delve into it sometimes. But Disturbed would have looked after us. And I'm pretty sure Dave would have taken me aside and he would have said, my brother, I give very few fucks about the fact that you had a couple of band members quit. You, my friend, are the singer and you are the singer of Memento. We audition new band members next week. Have a nice weekend. Relax. Go see a film and let's get straight back into it. That's what Dave would have said <laughs> if, he was my, if he was my label guy. Right. That's what he would have said. And that probably would have been really great to have that. And and David Boxenbaum, he would have handled it a really similar way, I think. And, and in either event, if Memento did not self-implode, I think we probably would have got treated with a little bit more respect on the first record. Because don't forget, Columbia were ready to go straight into the second record, and we'd only been out on the road for seven months. So they, being the massive entity they are, were like, we wanted 200,000 records sold by this stage. You're only at 40. You're going into the studio for the second record where the other two guys would have been going, hey, 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 don't worry. 40,000 is really good. And we're just going to keep going and we're going to keep going and we're going to keep going. It's like that band Trapped, T-R-A-P-T. Do you remember them? Yeah, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to to the rock media lately. Their their singer's been all over the place with some crazy right wing stuff. But yeah, I remember them. Oh yeah, okay. Well, let me let me just say in advance, I will most likely not agree with anything he has to say. So I almost now don't want to talk about him. But what I will talk about is the business model of their management 15 years ago, and that is they worked one song for nearly two years. They worked one single for nearly two years, and when it broke, it broke. And so you've got to ask yourself, who's at the control? Who's at the wheel of the car when you don't release beginnings as a single? Who's at the wheel of the car when you don't give nothing sacred a bit more time at radio? Or who's at the wheel of the car when you don't get a video clip done at least for for beginnings and release that at crossover radio 
who's at the wheel of the car to not see that that band was a real band? So, yes, now that we've read the Choose Your Own Adventure book, we're probably thinking, gosh, let's go see what happens if they sign with Dave and Dan of Disturbed. That'd be a fun book to read, man, because it'd, it'd be very different. It'd be very different. And, and it would be very different with Dave. You know, one person's given me a counter argument on that. Life is a funny thing. And I'm not talking about the band, the butterfly effect. I'm talking about that phenomenon known as the butterfly effect or the ripple effect. We might not have even released a record if we were on Octone because I know Dave Boxenbaum, he probably wanted us to develop for another year or two in the studio before we released. He, he really felt that we should do that. And we might have broken up because one of the band members might have quit or one of the guys might have gone and been a real estate agent before we released the record because they might have got impatient. So you don't know. So basically, you got to be grateful. And I'm grateful to be alive. And I'm grateful to be sitting here chatting with you. I'm really grateful to not be ranting about some right-wing politics. I'm really grateful that I have my sanity. (laughs) And I'm really grateful we had the experience. You went deep today. You asked questions people have not been willing to ask about why did Memento break up and all of that. So what you have to put up with when you ask that question is an interview that goes over two hours. Yeah, no, that's all right. You know, what's funny is that it, despite the fact that I've mentioned to you that, that publicists or, or just my own outlook on who I am, I'm not really anybody. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a dude who likes music and has a podcast, but it always makes me feel good when I ask a band a question and they're like, wow, you really know your shit or wow. Yeah. Like nobody's asked me that before. Yeah. No, it's true. And I'll give you an example. And I, I say this with the greatest of respect and love. And, and you know, just from this chat, a lot about how I feel about it, a great many things already just in the last couple hours. So when I say this, I'm, I'm going to talk about your metrics and my metrics, right? I got hardly any. I don't have 100,000 followers on Instagram or, you know, I mean, just about everyone else I've ever been in a band with has more followers than me because they've been on Instagram for 10 years, you know, and and whatever. And I know that there'd be podcasters out there that have more followers on their Facebook page than you. You know how many I've got. I know how many you've got. But here's my point. And I hope this means something to you. I really do. And I'll, I'll give you an example, too. I, I had a rule and it was fierce. And I could be fierce back in the day. If people phoned in a performance, if people were not truly emotionally giving 100% at a gig, there was hell to pay. And it, it never happened because we had a rule. And that rule started back on the Gold Coast in Australia. You know, Jason and I used to be in a band together called Tower back in the day. And it was really kind of cool, hard rock, dark, gothic grunge, you know. And we had... It was called BAS, blown away syndrome. And it was like, guys, we only have one job tonight. I know we're only opening for other bands right now. And that's okay. It's going to be fun. As long as we inflict BAS. And BAS was blown away syndrome. We needed to leave the other bands wishing they didn't turn up to play after us. Because how do you follow that? That was kind of our very egotistical way of thinking. Let's blow everyone away. You know, we were friends with the other bands, don't get me wrong, but we wanted to destroy the place. And we did. And that's how we rolled. I think that that's sort of your 
I've heard I've heard many other bands say in interviews too. That's sort of your your mission. I mean, you're 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 grateful to be there opening for whoever, but you want to blow them off the stage and 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 and, and in the process gain more fans for yourself. Yeah, that's right. But we also had the, and the reason the reason I'm sort of waffling on about this before we part ways today is we also had a rule that if there was no one there, I had the guys come up to me and tell one day and went, well, no one to blow away now. And we're about to go on in two minutes, unless you've got 20 of your friends rocking up in the next 10 seconds. And I looked at them and I said, my boys, my boys, my boys, there is something you are missing. And they're like, what? I said, what's that over there? I said, that's a bar. I said, no, no. What's behind the bar? Someone finally got it. The bartender. I was like, yes. You think the bartender has friends? You bet your fucking ass she does. So we're going to give her the best rock concert she's ever seen. Sure enough, we played there three weeks later, 60 people. And that's how it goes. And my point is, you've looked at my metrics, I've looked at yours. My interview with you today on your podcast is no better or worse or any higher energy or lower energy. It's no different than if Howard Stern was interviewing me at prime time nationally throughout the United States and podcasts throughout Europe. It's no different. There is no difference in my respect level. There is no difference in anything we're talking about. You get in the Howard Stern interview. And that's not meant to sound patronizing. It's not meant to sound like, aren't you lucky? It just means there is no fucking difference to me. And I appreciate the fact that you've interviewed me. And yeah, you've asked questions no one's ever asked before. And it's been a real privilege and a real honor to be on your podcast. Yeah, man. And like I said at the top, I'm, and then I've probably said throughout, I'm happy to have you. I'm glad that, you know, after four years of having the show and after 18 years of, of being in touch with each other, that we can finally have this discussion. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you're one of those core supporters. I'm not sure if I used the term core supporters on that 15 minute rambling at the end of Melodies for Eulities Deluxe Edition. I'm not sure if I mentioned the term core supporters or true believers or that's a dangerous phrase, true believers. It's got such weird historical connotations. But people that have been there from the start who've got your back, who you know are the shit, you're, you're certainly one of those. And, and that's why, you know what? I take back what I said. You get a better interview than the Howard Stern interview, you know, because we would have all had to shut up after 10 minutes or 20 minutes. So you, you've actually got the better interview anyway. And you're one of the core crew of my escapades around the United States, man. Oh, I certainly, I certainly appreciate that. And like I said, I hope that at some point I get to see you, uh, get to have you come here and get to see each other face to face, see you live again and actually have a conversation in person. Cause that is, that is something we have yet to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, hold your family close, man. I know you're a family man. They went out tonight and you got to do the podcast, hold your family close. That's the most important thing we got. And, um, to all the folks out there who've listened to or purchased or bought melodies for eulogies or beginnings for that matter from memento years ago you're, you're in that conversation because you guys are family to me as well so all, all of you guys and the messages i get dude sometimes just blow me away the support the love that i get just because people have seen the band or listened to a song or we met once in tallahassee or we met once in boise idaho like it's crazy the love and the support that I'm lucky enough to get from you guys. So I'm really grateful, really humbled, and I really appreciate you having me on.
tale from the soul Is this what you wanted To see me broken from the album Melodies for Eulogies that was Justin Stewart Cotta with Sketches I once again just want to thank Justin for being on the show I had such a great time talking to him and, and then listening back to this to, to do the edits and it was so funny because I'm thinking to myself I'm getting through the the interview and it's like wow this keeps going you know what happens next it was you know even though i was there and it was so great to just to just experience again i really hope that you guys enjoy it you definitely want to make sure that you pick up melodies for eulogies it's available now on his bandcamp which is justinstuartkata.bandcamp.com you can also follow him on social media to help out the fucking metrics <laughs> on facebook at Justin Stewart Cotta Music and on Instagram and Twitter at Justin Stewart Cotta. You can also follow his uh, band Memento on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Memento the Band. Doesn't seem like that. I, mean, I guess never say never, right? But it seems like with all that's gone on there, who knows if, if Memento will be a thing again. But follow their socials just in case. That way, if it is, you'll be the first to find out. You can also follow the J Bunny's Music Hub podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Just search J Bunny's Music Hub. And uh, I'm definitely going to get the Patreon going. I know I say that all the fucking time. The next time that I have time to sit down at this computer and figure out the Patreon, I'm doing it. I tried to do it through the phone. I can't with their app. I don't know what the deal is. Um, I, I hate doing computery things on a phone in the first place. I know everybody else is phones, phones, phones. I can't fucking stand it. And I find their app very hard to navigate. So next time I'm at the computer and have some time, that's getting done for sure. And I will post all of the details on my Facebook page. Also, guys, if you believe in supporting music like I do by buying it, don't forget to follow Industry Embers on Facebook and Twitter at Industry Embers. And be sure to tweet or post your music purchases with the hashtag BuyMusic, B-U-Y, or it's BuyMusic, B-Y-E. As for what's next for the show, I don't have anything scheduled as of yet. There is some stuff that I've got to send emails about, as I mentioned on 
one of the previous shows, concerts are starting to come back, and I'm seeing some stuff that I really want to get interviews for, so we'll see if that works out. I'll have to also just reply to some inquiries I'm getting from the publicist that occasionally sends me stuff, all those times that I get shows with with new bands that you guys might not have heard of that's generally the same publicist we'll see if she's got anything coming through and uh we'll just keep this going i love i love doing the show for you guys i love doing the show for myself like i said this is this is something i've always wanted to do and so this is why i do this because i love it so i think that that's all i've got for you guys today in reference to a bit of a, a joke that was made early on in the episode, Justin made reference to the beginning of the end of the beginning, you know, that he was making reference to lyrics from a Memento song, Figure Eight. Now, I'm not going to play Figure Eight for you, but definitely check that song out. I am going to play the Memento song, Beginnings, and I'm putting it at the end, just because it's kind of funny, right? Beginnings at the end. So, from the Memento album, Beginnings... This is Beginnings. Until next time, guys.